Let's turn on our Bibles tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Very, uh, there are a few times on the church calendar where I have an opportunity to speak on the, this passage, the Lord's Supper service, and uh, I want to talk about that tonight since our time is limited, and I do want to focus more on what we do on a monthly basis here at Grace Baptist Church when we celebrate the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll be looking at verses 23 through 32. You hear these words often every month, and yet to go a little bit deeper into the meaning, I think it would be good, time, uh, good to take that time tonight. The service uh, that we're observing is referred to by different names in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16, it's called communion, and often we use that, the communion service. 1 Corinthians 10.22 calls it the Lord's table. In Acts 2.42, it's called the breaking of the bread. And so all it's referred to as a number of different times in Scripture. It's all talking about this one ordinance that the Lord gave to his church. Tonight, we'll look at first the three points, the instructions in its practice, the picture in its remembrance, and the warning in its observance. So the instruction in its practice in verses 23 through 24. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he writes in verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Paul received these instructions from the Lord. This ordinance did not come from the mind of man. The church didn't decide, well, let's, uh, let's have a religious ritual. Let's see what we can do uh, so that we can just get more people to come and be in a worshipful attitude. Other, every other religion outside of Christianity has the distinct, distinct mark of human invention. It has man's hands all over it. They're man-made. They have human designs and agendas. They are out to make converts to perhaps line their own pockets with money or to establish control over the minds of men. But Paul said, what I delivered to you about the Lord's table, I received from the Lord. There are other passages in scripture that tell us things that are given to us from God, the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3, it says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. We have that same idea that Paul is saying the gospel is not something that I made up. This was given to me by the Lord. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. That is not a man-made uh, philosophy, not a man-made piece of religion. This is what God delivered. This is the gospel, and we cannot water it down. We cannot change it. Also, we were delivered, uh, given the word of God. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in them that believe. So we've received the gospel. We've received the word of God. We've received this church ordinance. And so it is divine in its origin. Paul is, is, has received these instructions from the Lord. And then we know that Jesus was the one who instituted, or we use the word ordained, the Lord's Supper. 
The instructions for the church are very clear and direct. As you look down into your text tonight, you'll see uh, at the uh, bottom, at the end of verse 24, uh, this do, and then he says, in remembrance of me. You look down at 25, and we see that same phrase, this do ye, as often as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. So he's saying, I want you to do this. It's a very simple verb, do this, practice it. Let it be a part of the church life. The observance is for Christians. It was instituted the same night that Jesus was betrayed. Who betrayed him? Judas. They were in the upper room. Judas had left to orchestrate the arrest and betrayal. Now, we know that some churches practice foot washing. We don't see that as part of the divine ordinance, a church ordinance, because foot washing took place before these instructions. This do was given to the 11 apostles who were left. The fact that Judas had been involved in the foot washing ceremony, but not in the Lord's Supper, tells me that this is a church ordinance. Foot washing is not. The observance was to be practiced regularly. Notice in verse 26, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. It is to be consistent. It is to be something that we practice often. The practice was to be continuous. Notice it says at the end of verse 26, till he come, until Jesus comes again. And so each time we observe this ordinance, we are closer to the coming of Christ. So the instructions in its practice. Now secondly, the picture in its remembrance. It was given to serve as a reminder of what Jesus did at Calvary, verses 24 through 26. Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do, ye, this do in remembrance of me. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. And the word show there is the Old English spelling. It's, it's still the word show. That's what it means, but it's spelled with an E in Old English. Some have taught that this is a sacrament. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that, that it's something that you do as a meritorious work. What are you meriting when you do this? They say you're meriting God's grace. And so God's grace is, is received in a sacrament, something that you do. Baptist churches avoid that term, sacrament, because it implies that grace is bestowed on those who participate. Instead, we use the word ordinance, because baptism is the Lord's Supper, uh, one of the two things that Jesus ordained or commanded uh, for the church to do after receiving his grace. Again, he it was given to the church. They had already received his grace. And so it, we don't need any more grace to be bestowed uh, as far as salvation goes. Some churches teach what is known as transubstantiation. You've heard that. Trans means to change, to change the substance. And they believe that the elements miraculously change at the pronouncement during a communion service. The Latin mass has the words, hoc est corpus meum, this is my body. And that's the origination of that uh, magical spell that magicians use, hocus pocus, comes from that same uh, Latin, those Latin words. And so when the priest pronounces those, those words, the, 
the, the, the elements, they call it the host, the elements change into the body and blood of Christ. That's transubstantiation. The reformers, uh, Calvin, Luther, and Zwingli, uh, stood against that. They came out, uh, they, they didn't go far enough. They, they came out with a consubstantiation view, that is the, 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 the presence of the Lord is with the elements. Christ's presence is mystically present with the elements. Well, Zwingli uh, argued that there were a number of clear flaws in the argument of, of Jesus' body and blood present in the Lord's Supper. He says, when Jesus says, I am the vine, in John 15, 5, we have to consider that he's using figurative speech in the first place. Now, if you object against this interpretation of Christ saying, I am the vine, and argue that he must be a physical vine, you end up by making Christ into a piece of vine wood. In the same way, when you come to the words, this is my body, you must first make sure that he intended to give his flesh and blood in physical form. The same argument the reformers used when he said, this Hagar is Mount Sinai. That's a figurative speech. They're not the same. So we don't believe in transubstantiation or consubstantiation. We believe that these are symbols to remind us of Christ's body and of his blood. His body was not eaten at the first ordinance uh, when it was given by the disciples or to the disciples. Jesus was using elements outside of himself. He wasn't taking off part of his body and handing it to, and saying, this is my body. He was using symbols, the, the juice and the bread. His body was not broken. Jesus tells us that the soldiers didn't go through the normal practice of breaking the legs of Jesus as they did other criminals to hasten their death. John 19.33 says, But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. John 19.36, that's repeated with the inclusion of, of, of a prophecy, a prophetic statement in the scripture that said, A bone of him shall not be broken. You can go back to Psalm 34.20 for that statement. So, when we read in our text that this is my body which is broken for you, what does that mean? Some people have explained it, that his skin was broken with the piercings of the nails and the spear and the thorn. Uh, some say, uh, there's strong manuscript evidence here, that it should read, this is my body given for you. Uh, either way, um, we know that he was not, a bone was not broken, and so in that uh, identification, when, when we look at the symbol, uh, we know that the bread was broken, but Christ's body was not. So at the First Supper, Jesus broke from one loaf and probably gave it to his disciples. The Lord's Supper is a testimony. He said by partaking of the elements, they were showing the Lord's death. Uh, it was a testimony of what Christ had done. The, the Greek word for show is used several times in scripture. You've heard me say this before. It's translated most often in the New Testament with the word preach. Ten times in the New Testament, this word for show is translated preach. And I want you to understand the usages of the term show in the New Testament will help us see what we are doing when we observe this Lord's Supper in, in showing it. Okay? So we preach the Lord's death till he come. Another time, it's, it's used with the word show three times. One time, it's teach. Two times, it's declare. 
One time it's translated speak. So if you take all those together and apply it to what's going on here, this ordinance should preach the gospel, the good news of Christ's work of salvation for lost mankind. Now you say, well, there aren't any, maybe there aren't any unsaved here. We're still preaching. What does that mean? Well, the preaching of the cross to them that perish is, is foolishness. But unto us who are saved, it is the power of God. So it's not bad to hear the gospel again as believers. It's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. Second, the observance of this uh, ordinance is to show to everyone that he died for them. Third, it's to teach Again, one of the nuances of that word show, to teach, to instruct others as we remember the events of Calvary. We should also be declaring and speaking through observing the Lord's table. If a picture is said to be worth a thousand words, then the picture before us tonight is the most important volume that anyone can ever read. And so we're declaring his death until he comes. The declaration is of a completed work. There's no need for a further sacrifice. That's why, again, this is not meritorious. It's not earning grace. You have, as you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you have received all of salvation that there is to receive. Civil War reenactments don't usually have casualties. The battle has already been fought and won. They just gather, and they know that there's no risk involved. They're simply remembering the men who died, the weapons that were used, the battle strategies and techniques that were used. They're remembering the cause for which men fought. A memory doesn't add to what took place in history, nor does it detract from it. This meal that we participate in tonight does not add or take away from anything that Jesus did. It's simply a memorial. There are some who think that by taking this meal, they're accepting Christ again, that they're ingesting him. We don't put Christ back on the cross. We don't crucify him again. Jesus died once. That sacrifice was sufficient. No mass, no man-made celebration can ever add to the work that Christ Jesus finished on Calvary. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. The sacrifice was made once. The payment is complete. Third, the warning in its observance. There's a warning in verses 27 to verse 32. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. There's very specific wording that's used in this section of scripture. The word examine there is a word you've seen before, dakimadzo, put yourself to the test. 
The word damnation in verse 29 is judgment. The word discerning in verse 29, not discerning the Lord's body, is uh, to, to examine or to discern. It's, used, it's translated here as discerning. It's also translated in verse 32 as judged and also as uh, chasten. No, chastening is, is a child rearing. But the word at the end of verse 32 is condemnation. That's a different word. So we're judging ourselves. God is, dis- is examining us, and, and we are being disciplined in a, in a way that God designs for a believer. It does not mean that we are losing our salvation in this passage. So what does it mean to eat and drink unworthily? The word is uh, a word that means out of balance. It's, it's not on the axis It's not in balance. And so on one hand, we're saying that Jesus Christ's blood has the power to forgive our sins. His sacrificial, uh, his life in a a physical body was enough sacrifice, a pure sacrifice to pay for our sins. That's on one side of the scale. And then does your life measure up to that? If not, it's unworthy. None of us are worthy of God's grace. And so taking this meal in an unworthy manner means that you're saying by the outward observance, I'm in fellowship with God. I'm, I'm matching up to his grace. I'm living according to that reality. But really, you're not. So the picture needs to be true in your life. It's not just at the Lord's table. It's every day of your life. As you live the Christian faith, are you saying you're a believer and not living like it? That's what it means to be unworthy. How do we judge ourselves? We're reminded to examine, to test our hearts. So we make sure that that picture that we're portraying tonight is is genuine, that you really are in communion with God, in fellowship with him, that sins are confessed. There's nothing between you and the Savior. What are the results of going through the motions without having that genuine inward fellowship, that communion? Well, in the church at Corinth, he said, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. God had taken them early in death. What's God's intended purpose in self-examination? Self-judgment, he wants us to judge ourselves. Self-judgment by the believer. If there's no self-judgment, then there there is chastening. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Again, a believer is not under condemnation. The unbeliever is. At the end of verse 32, we talked about that. So if you're here tonight and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin, you're condemned already. John 3.18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Unbelievers face condemnation. Believers face examination, testing, judgment. Do you want that? To be from the hand of the Lord, or do you want to take care of things right now? And so every month we have this this time of self-examination to make sure that we're in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you trusted Christ as your Savior, we invite you to participate in the Lord's Supper. You've already received him. His blood has forgiven your sins. This is a picture of what took place already in your life. If you haven't, you're not going to increase judgment on yourself already. You're already lost, and we urge you to come to Christ in salvation. And as we 
pass out the elements, take that time to make sure everything is right between you and the Lord and everything is right between you and the other Christian brothers that are here in this service. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, as we enter this time now, I pray that you would help us to consider um, the death of our Savior on Calvary's cross. We thank you for the music tonight that has drawn our attention and our focus to that great sacrifice. And I pray that the picture that we're participating in here will be true in our own lives, that we'll be eating and drinking worthily, understanding that our lives are lived every day by the, by the grace that you give, by the grace that you provide. And so I pray that we'll be in fellowship with you and with others. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.